Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. We've got a full house back in town this week, just in time to talk about an immensely frustrating performance on the field and an immensely frustrating performance off the field. And that's not even getting into what managerial hires we decided to jinx this week. Uh, before we go any further, I want to remind you to follow us at WDR Podcast on Twitter. That is WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio, at least until... Uh, our good friend Michael gives us one of those sweet, sweet blue sky codes. And also, uh, you should leave us a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify because some Spurs fans should feel good about themselves these days. So why not us? Now, back from his cross-country skiing excursion and hopefully no longer on the run, it is Brian Ashlock. Brian, uh, you know, I feel compelled maybe even more so than Ben in your absence to ask, uh, are you doing better or worse than Tottenham Hotspur these days? Better, better. I'm I'm way, way up this week, guys. Way up. Um, you know, uh You're zooted, you're you're suited. Geeked everything, man. Uh the crash is gonna be hard, but um, you know, I'm I'm enjoying the high while it lasts. Have you have you watched the new John Mulaney special, Brian? Just I'm asking out <laughs> it for no reason in particular. Yeah, no, I um I actually saw him when he was in South Florida. Um for comedy was- or other reasons? Um, look, I don't want to look, he's going through a very public, you know, image changing thing. And so I don't want to like, you know, do anything to like mess that up for him. But yeah, you know, both. Okay. Uh, and coming to us from Atlanta, he is back to, uh, the Mackin and Jack in the clothes. It is Ben Daniels. Ben, uh, are you doing better or worse than Tottenham this week? I don't ever get your jokes. I just pull random Atlanta. That, <laughs> that was a welcome to Atlanta. It was. Bar, thank I think. You. Uh, I'm sorry. That was part of Ludacris's verse, I think. Yeah, I don't remember Mackin and Jack so. in clothes. I'm a bad ATLian, I guess. Yes, you are. So bad. Better or worse than Tottenham this week? I don't think it would be possible to be worse, frankly. <laughs> I mean, it is conceivable that Tottenham players have a better setup to play the new Zelda game than you. I don't think so. I, <laughs> I don't know. I have a 77-inch OLED TV. I'm in a pretty good situation over Can here. Can you imagine what, like, Eric Dyer's private theater, you know, there's a, there's a little fire in the corner to keep him, keep him tied to his... <laughs> you know, I don't think so. I don't think most soccer players, like, you see their little Instagram videos of their homes... They don't have it set up right. You don't, you don't think the gold-plated uh, controller adds anything to it? Maybe. Maybe it does. But I have the special edition uh, Zelda Switch that just came out because mine broke and I had to buy a new one anyway. Oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, I don't really know. suckered you in. Suck it, Eric Dyer. This week, we are going to discuss Tottenham's underwhelming result against Aston Villa, um, our Nogglesman drama, and how, you know, a former uh, member of this podcast might have been responsible for it, and where our search is going and how we're going to feel about it. Uh, But like I said, we're going to lead off with the game against Villa. This sucked. Um, Brian, discuss <laughs> <laughs> excellent prompt um and and also just for the record i was going to give you a compliment before you did whatever that was um but uh we'll just go move for on it now. come on let's no i was going to say i like this whole like professional thing where you lay out the meeting agenda um as though we're like real podcasters <laughs> um so discuss um i i think that spurs um as as a team and as a club fail to understand the fundamental rules of football, uh, specifically the offside rule. Um, and I think that was a big story of this game. Um, I don't know. It was, it was bad. It was frustrating. Um, I think what it took us to the second half for us to finally get a shot. 
Um, you know, we we basically put up 0.00 XG in the first half. Um, and, you know, I don't think that Aston Villa were particularly good. I don't think that they were, like, playing us off the park or anything. But they were pretty effective when they were on the ball. Um, and, and we just... <laughs> We, Sun kept running in behind, but being three yards off sides. And it was so, so stupid. I think that's what frustrated me the most about this is I, I don't think Villa were very good. I think they played a tactic that worse teams than us easily could have punished them for. And frankly, I think they were extraordinarily lucky that we were as bad as we were. I think this team could have played a lot worse than we did and maybe scored three or four goals against them. Like that Son and Richarlson and I mean, I guess Kane was playing at the 10, so maybe not him, but like that they kept being so offsides is ridiculous. And I think it's insane that Villa played the way they did and weren't punished more for it. I mean, the one time we finally broke it, we got a penalty. I, it was it, it was just an infuriating match because it was like you should be able to beat this a couple times and well, we just didn't and I don't and it was just incompetence and even for a team that has played as badly this year I think that level of incompetence or bad luck because I think it's both was like I think Villa was incredibly lucky to have that happen. Yeah, and I think you know it's not just on the attackers. Um, you know, while yes, like they should you know, do a better job of bending their runs or holding off. Like, but the problem is also coming from, you know, how we're getting the ball forward, um, you know, is, is our midfield dwelling on the ball too long. Um, there's a, there's an opportunity kind of early in the first half where I think uh, we play like a long switch to Richarlison and he's offside by a, a step or so. And it's just like, you know, that pass was there, three touches earlier for, I think, Longley. And it's just like, play it then. As a, and instead, we dwelt on the ball, dwelled, and then and then finally kicked it. And and by then, the, ch- the opportunity was gone and he was offside. So, you know, and I think the, the, the frustrating thing um, for, for me this match was just we keep running out the Hoiberg skip midfield and – this this game it was very much non-existent um you know villa was basically doing whatever they wanted in the center of the field um and mcginn and louise and um you know wendia to an extent were just all able to have an incredible amount of time on the ball and and skip and hoiberg were just not getting anywhere near people and and i and i thought in the second half, we made the decision to pull off Skip and, and bring on Basuma. And that actually made us look, you know, a little bit better, made us look more solid um, and, and kind of helped us, you know, in, in fashioning some opportunities later in the game. It's Even, crazy. It's ahead, crazy Brian. to me that, like, I mean, you're right, Brian. The fact that our, our attackers are perennially offsides in a match that, you know, Villa gave us that run in behind over and over and over again is as much, if not more, a product of the fact that nobody in midfield and nobody behind them can pick that pass and spot that pass um, and play it early enough to actually punish a team who is giving you what, like, was our bread and butter for under, like, so many managers now. Like, that exact kind of counterattack, that quick out to the front line um, hanging off the shoulder. And, like, they just can't execute. And... You know, we've made a lot of excuses for these guys over the years. We're like, well, it's not their job as long they're just there to be functional and, you know, do the like simple stuff well and like the creativity will come elsewhere, yada yada yada. That's the idea. But like they're not functional. They're not closing down in midfield. They're not playing simple passes. They're not protecting counters on you know, they're not closing down passes on the other team. It's just it's just shocking how little that these guys are giving us in every phase of play. And then you see Basuma come on having been injured for a while and frankly, not good this season and suddenly look like the guy we bought this summer. And it's like, I just don't know what anyone has been doing at any point this season. Like 
why was he so bad? Like, is this just Conte making him bad? Yes. Like, yes. Yes. Twenty minutes without him, and suddenly he's like a fucking Champions League midfielder. Like, this I mean, is just, I, I'm not. I like if you told me everyone and anyone up to Eric Dyer next year would be like better without Conte around. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't make wholesale changes in this team because I think there's a lot of problems, but like. I'd be willing to believe Conte has made every single player on this team worse this year. Like I would believe it if that was the case next year. Um, it, it's, I mean, you know, you look what Basuma does when he's not like, he's not handcuffed to some center back on our back line. And like, it was incredible. He was, like you said, he was great. I don't know if maybe he was carrying an injury um, earlier in the year before he got really injured, but he looks incredible. And yeah, it's, I, I mean, he was probably the, the, only bright spot from this game which i think was was also like you know you come out of the the last game where you know we looked coherent and you know we did this thing where we were uh you know we were back three at times and then we were back four and you know there were players moving and switching and passing and it looked really good and so you had reason to hope that like those that performance would kind of carry over and it just kind of did it. Like, and you know, Poro was really good against Crystal Palace, and he looked like shit to, <laughs> against Villa. Like, you know, even Ben Davies was, uh, like, Leon Bailey made Ben Davies look like an asshole, like, multiple times. And and Bailey is fast, but he is not, like, by any means a great winger. Like, he's not the kind of winger that should be terrorizing our entire left side of defense in the way that he was. But you look, you tell me before this game, okay, what's going to happen is Villa's going to kind of press you halfway and they're going to play a crazy high line. You know, you look at some of the guys on this on this team. You look at Romero, Longley, you know, they can pick passes from deep. You look at Kane, his ability to pass and, you know, make runs. You look at Pedro Poro, both his ability to make runs and, like, hit crosses and, and forward passes. You look at Kuliszewski. Son, Richarlson, these are all guys who, like, if you told me Villa's going to run a crazy high line, someone in that list should be able to fucking do something with it. We're not talking about breaking down Pep Guardiola here. And I understand that Unai Emery has improved Aston Villa. They are a much better team. I mean, they're level on points with us. They were 14 points behind us when he took over, and look where they are now. But, like, this was not a great performance for Villa. This was – they did a thing that I don't care, like, how long – that like, Mason hasn't had a lot of time with the team. I don't care they switched tactics. I don't care that, like, Conte beat their brains in and killed their confidence all year. That is a tactic that sooner or later you should be able to suss out. They're not able to figure something out. Like, I mean, there's tactics. There's what Mason should be doing. I thought he made a lot of really good subs in this game, actually. But, like, I'm not even talking about Mason. This is, like, Longley and Son or whatever – you know, you guys should be able to get on the same page and find a way to beat that high line. I know I'm making it sound probably easier than it should be, but at the same time, like, this isn't rocket science. Like, what they had to do in this game was not crazy, and they just couldn't execute because, like, and they should. Like, these are players who should be good enough to beat a game, to beat a Villa team like this, and they just couldn't. And it was really, it's really sad to watch, especially, like you said, Brian, after a performance where they looked like a coherent team that could function. Yeah, I think... The first half is at least excusable where you can say, you know, all right, you know, you we can see the idea here. Um, you know, yes, we didn't get any shots, but we, we had a few offsides. We should have probably scored from some of these like, OK, let's go in at halftime or group. And then, you know, we we don't make any changes at halftime. And I don't know that, you know, I'm not saying Mason necessarily had to do that, but like. If you're looking at that midfield and you know that, hey, what's really working here is is getting passes over the top and in behind. Why not bring Sar on? You know, he is your he's he's your lone passer in midfield. Why not get him on? Why not bring on Kulisevsky earlier? You know, to 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 even if you just bring him on to play, you know, right wing back or whatever in place of Poro, like get him out there for the passing for the long switches, like whatever. Like there was stuff that we could have done earlier. And maybe if we score earlier in that second half, the game doesn't quite work out the way it did. But um, we just 
I don't know. I, I'm like you, Greg. It's frustrating because we clearly had the idea of how to beat it, right? Like, like that the idea was there, but then how is the execution just that bad? From like we like you said earlier, like players that ran this style of you know kick it long and run towards it for for years, like this is this shouldn't be a, a particularly difficult thing for them to manage, and it just it. it it was frustrating. The other facet of this that bothers me, and I, I'd say this is on Mason, is like this front three of Kane, Son, and Richarlison, just it only works in one specific way when you pull Kane very deep and have him be the guy spraying passes and let these two other guys who don't give you a lot in possession but give you a ton running in behind, and you've got Kane who can spray the ball all over the pitch. Um, and you know, has done that and the brief periods of success we've had over the last couple of years. And he wasn't that guy. Like we could not get him on the ball. He wasn't dropping into midfield and just like spraying passes all over the pitch. He like, he barely touched the ball. Um, And it's like, why, why are you setting out these three in an attack to not play them that way? I, I just don't know what the thought process is there. Yeah, and I mean, look, Villa did do a good job. I thought Douglas Louise kind of sat on Kane a lot and, you know, uh, prevented some of the easy balls into him in midfield so that we, in the transition, it was more difficult for us to find him. But again, if that's the case, then you as the manager have to look at your team and say, all right, who else is going to progress this ball forward and then make that adjustment? Whether it's you telling Romero to start playing the long balls forward or, you know, telling Poro to hit crosses, you know, earlier, like, I don't know, but it, it, we had to do something. I'm just looking at like the number of passes that the players on this team had, and it's just shocking how little anybody was able to generate anything. Kane had 10 passes or Charleston had four passes. Skip had 16 passes in fucking midfield. Like, Nobody was on the ball doing anything in positions that you'd like need someone to be that guy. Yeah. And I mean, we had more of the possession, which I, I don't think feels right based on like me, how, how I felt watching the game. I, I, I definitely felt like there were long stretches where Villa had most of the ball and then all we were doing was kicking it long and getting called for offside and then turning it back over. Um, so I don't know. Um, are you guys worried about Pedro Poro and his, um, you know, pension no. for kicking the ball to the other team in our defensive uh, third? I mean, I am worried in that. Here's here's where I am, Poro. We, Since we're the nothing, Pedro Poro we, experts. Well, yes, we are. I mean, we found him for the club, and you know, I feel like, frankly, we got cheated out of a commission, but it is what it is. Um, you know, it's nothing we know about Pedro Poro has changed. He is really dynamic going forward some of the time, and he is a defensive liability some of the time. And I'm not really going to make a judgment on him until he walks into a coherent system with a coherent head coach who understands what he like what he wants out of this team. Now, you know, if he has a year or so under, I don't know, any of the competent managers we've been sort of linked to, yeah, Nogglesman. Uh, But, uh, you know, like if we hire a halfway decent manager and he still is a problem at the end of next year, then it's a problem we need to talk about. And it's probably money poorly spent. You know, my suspicion is he's a good enough player that if you get a decent manager in here, they're going to figure out something to do with him. You know, I'm going to withhold judgment until, you know, he walked in, you know, as Conte was completing his self-destruction. Then he had a couple weeks of Stellini. Then he's had Ryan Mason. I mean, I don't think, and he's adjusting the Premier League and living in another country and yada, yada, yada. You know, I just think it's, you you can't, you you got to withhold judgment until next year. I mean, I think, you you know, Brian, I think the flip side of this is, have you seen enough to be concerned, like, have you seen enough to be encouraged? I think you can look at this either way. Like he's done some really fun stuff. He's done some really dumb stuff and he's done it on a club that is being run like an insane asylum right now. Yeah. I mean, the two questions of the Pedro Poro is, you know, he puts a lot on the table and takes a lot off the table. Can you manage him in a way that that balance is favorable? 
And then the second part is, is can he develop that other half of his game under good coaching? Because if you can't, you know, it might be impossible to tactic your way out of. But I mean, honestly, I, I if you just start kicking the ball long when he got it in our defensive third, it'd be an improvement as opposed to just kicking right. it back into the middle. <laughs> but that's like, oh, I think that's like a byproduct of the, the patterns. Like, you yeah. know, I think this team might take less dumb chances when they have a manager who drills different systems into them next year. Yeah. And I also think like it, that's part of the adjustment going from being on, you know, one of the biggest teams in Portugal and, you know, playing in a, side where you're mostly just dominating teams uh, versus not having that luxury and like the ability to just dribble out of your own box is not an option here. Like you just need to be more heads up and more risk averse than that. And I think a good coach will beat that out of him. Yeah, I think that's fair. So... I guess looking forward, the other issue that happened this week was uh, Spurs put out on Friday that they are not going to consider Nagelsmann a candidate. Uh, They clearly wanted to get out in front of some bad news here and say they weren't interested. They said there's been no contact with them. I think that's clearly a lie. I think they've gone pretty far down a road with Nagelsmann and his people without actually having a formal interview, which is fine. We don't know what the reason is. Um, there has been a pretty good idea. <laughs> well, I don't think we do. Well, we know the reason is they disagreed over what to do with director of football. Um, we don't know exactly what is going on there, but clearly it was something that made them just go like, you know what, this is not time. In the German press, there's been some stuff about maybe he needs to step away for a little bit before he takes another job. I guess the question is, is how concerning do you guys find this? Personally, I don't really give a shit about the PR thing. I think it was a little clumsy, but, like, I don't know. If you can't, like, read between the lines and sort of just live with it, I, I don't know what to say to you. Like, All right, well, let me just summarize the sort of chronology of what we do and don't know, right? It's like we started with we have a free run at Nagelsmann. He, he and Chelsea didn't work out. There's no one else interested in in him. We have had preliminary conversations and he's interested. That was reported. That was heavily reported that like that was a possibility. And then it came out that his willingness to take the job depended on what our director of football situation was, how much control does he have over transfers, and what does that front office situation look like? And so we felt pretty good that like, okay, as long as we put together something that we'll be able to you know, make a pitch to Nagelsmann that maybe he'll like. And then the recent reporting is kind of mixed where it's like either he didn't like what we had to offer when it came to a director of football or he got a little bit big for his britches and decided that he should dictate to us who that director of football was going to be. And I think depending on, you know, which of those two versions of the story you're inclined to believe kind of is a bit of a Rorschach test for how you feel about the whole situation. You know, did we fuck it up or did Nagelsmann, I've said his name like four different times, by the way. Uh, well, I did think he asked for too much and try and flex too hard on us. And we weren't willing to give him that kind of control. And I think something that some important context to consider here is because I think a lot of people, by virtue of how successful he's been, by the fact that he's some like, you know, very young tactical prodigy. And then he's been involved in some teams that had decent transfer setups. I think something that gets lost in all this is Julian Nagelsmann has never really had a large say in his team's transfer dealings. Like it's worth, I'm sure he's had input, but he came from in Hoffenheim and Leipzig, two teams that have very systematized ways of dealing with uh, transfers in terms of, you know, what, how they approach it. And then he was at Bayern where he was totally along for the ride. And, I think that's just worth remembering. So we don't have a great idea of what like Noggle's been going to a, let's say big club and having a lot of weight to throw around looks like. Um, Cause that wasn't what happened at Bayern and, you know, Leipzig and Hoffenheim are their own sort of, um, their own yeah. sort of, you know, o- operations. So we don't know if he just was like, 
like you said, Ben, it's about what you choose to read into it. We don't know if he was just like, I want a guy who will do these certain things, or it's like, no, I want my sock pop, my sock puppet in here who's going to do exactly what I tell him to do. So, which may or may not be a good thing on its own, Harris. We don't. That's another thing we don't know. So it's. I don't know. It's a very tricky situation, and it's you know, it's a, I think it's a mixture of how much do you trust Nogglesman and how much do you not trust Spurs. And I think there's a lot of people who sort of don't aren't giving Spurs the benefit of the doubt right now, which is fairly understandable. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think a lot of the discourse that we had around this initially when the reporting came out was Nogglesman told us, "Hey, be adults and." Uh, make sure that you have a backroom football structure in place. And we just went like, nah, not interested. Thanks though. And like Ben said, that's whether or not you, you now that is the the discourse that you choose to believe is like your Rorschach position or your Rorschach test of where you are on like Levy and Enoch out and all this other bullshit. Um, but like for, for me personally, I think that, even if he does kind of quote unquote overstep and he says, you know, he wants this guy, a sock puppet, a figurehead, you know, his buddy who's going to give him kickbacks, whatever. Well, I don't, that, to be fair, I wasn't implying he could be giving him kickbacks. I was, well, but you never know what he was told. But he, sure. I mean, maybe he's a, he wants Paul Mitchell. Who knows? Um, you know, Jerry Redknapp. Is that what we're yeah, calling? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I don't know. Like, I think, he's a good enough coach that maybe you take that risk. Um, and, and I understand that, you know, look, we've all been burned by Daniel Levy wanting to get, you know, big name managers in here for the last few hires. And so I understand if we are as a fan base, like reticent to have, you know, the star manager and his handpicked DOF. And like, what if that sets us back again? It's just like, I think that this just gives us the best opportunity going forward. Like whatever, whatever the DOF situation is, Nagelsmann is the coach is the best outcome for this group, I think. And so to me, you just do kind of whatever to put the structures in place and, and get him the stuff that he wants. And, and while I, I understand Greg's point about, you know, him not ever really having been heavily involved in the transfer side and him now wanting to do that may be problematic. I'm also inclined to give him a little bit of rope on that. I'm not even saying it's problematic. What I'm saying is we don't, this isn't like say, I don't know, Paul Mitchell taking over a transfer operation or even a Jurgen Klopp where they've sort of earned a little bit. I mean, Klopp didn't, you know, he was kind of at Dortmund. He was kind of at their whim. But, yeah, it's it's very tricky. And, I mean, I, what, what it's a little amusing to me is I feel like a lot of us, including those of us on this podcast, but a lot of Spurs fans have been yelling about, like, the problem that Spurs have had the last few years, especially under Paratici. But going back further than that, I mean, you want to talk about Pochettino and the um, and Levy and the 18 months we didn't buy someone. It's like the problem with Spurs is they have a bad process. They don't, you know, they're just letting the manager dictate things. They're doing this. They're doing that. And when we potentially, because we don't know where we're going to end up, but insist on a good process, which would be, no, we're going to hire a director of football for the club, and then we're going to hire a manager that's aligned with them, but not necessarily beholden to them. So, you know, there's a there's a strategy in place if it doesn't quite work out, or they're not, like, entirely beholden to the manager. You know, if that is, in fact, what is happening, I feel like a lot of Spurs fans are like, no, not not that kind of good process. Not right now. Like, do what, you, do what it takes to get Nate Nogglesman. Like, um, and I'm oversimplifying there, but it's I, again, it's like, on the one hand, that makes sense. On the other hand, how much do you trust Spurs to be actually implementing a good process? So it's like, well, fuck it. If we're going to do a bad process, let's do the bad process that gets us an elite head a coach. A good guy. Yeah. Right. And, I, you know, I think I, I kind of agree with you, you know, and I, I think Brian is right that that is the best manager available. But I think the manager is not the most important hire that we can be making. It is that director of football. And so, it, so much of how this fell apart depends on what that conversation looked like was it you know daniel levy pitched a couple like rolodex guys like paratici and nagelsman's like you know what i worked with some other kinds of directors of football and i think that is a better operation and i would like to work for a guy like this and 
you know, put his names forward. And we said, no, I'm very mad about that. If Nagelsmann, like you said, Greg, is finally like unshackled from these clubs with rigid hierarchies and sees this as an opportunity to flex and see what he can do, you know, running everything, then, yeah, I think we were correct to say, no, that's too much, especially after we kind of just did that with Conte and it went so badly. Um, And I think depending on who we hire as a director of football in hopefully the coming weeks, will kind of shed some light on the nature of those conversations and whether we fucked it up or or not. Uh, because if we hire somebody who does not look like, you know, the kind of modern recruitment-centric um, director of football and not just like a guy who's buddies with a bunch of agents, you know, I'll feel very differently than we hire, you know, some Mendez crony, you know. I think the real issue for me is we shouldn't even be in this fucking situation because everybody but Tottenham seemed to know that Paratici was going to jail and we should have fired him and gotten our ducks in a row way before now. We shouldn't be in a situation where we're having to approach managers because it's that time of the season and not have the DOF situation sorted out. You know, if we had had something in place we could have gone to Nagelsmann and said, hey, this is what our structure looks like. Are you interested? And he could say yes or no. And that's whatever. But to go there with this like vacancy and not expect him to have opinions on how that vacancy is filled is some amateur bullshit. Like we waited just way too fucking long to move on all of these things that needed to happen and delaying firing Paratici for two months when we knew that this appeal was not going to be successful, like everybody fucking knew, you know, that came as a surprise to nobody except for Daniel Levy. And now we're behind the eight ball and potentially. It's, have- it's, it's especially it's even galling when like, like the Conte situation was deteriorating. Like I think by last fall, we could all, you know, like house odds were, this isn't going to end well. And I think it's one thing if, like, okay, you like Paratici, you believe in Paratici, whatever. We don't have to get into, like, the relative merits of that. But, it's, you know, if you have a stable managerial situation, maybe you can afford to ride this one out, like, till the bitter end. Probably not a good idea, but it's less of a, you know, you're, there's less shit up in the air. Because now, not only do we need to rejigger our transfer strategy because the season's been such a fucking disaster – but also, we need to hire a manager, which, again, like you said, Ben, I understand director of football is probably the more important hire. But the manager is a more sort of immediate hire and certainly a more publicly important hire. And given that this, you know, this was a situation we knew either was going to or probably going to happen, you know, that's what makes the, like, we didn't move on pair. Like, by, like, January, you should have just gone to him and be like, dude, I'm sorry. We got to move on. Even if we didn't, like we had two months to line up the next guy in the possibility of having to sack him. And now here we are another month and a half down the road and nothing has happened. I mean, what do we do? What do we do with all that? Linked with director of football candidates, you hope they get, I mean, they better have someone locked in by the end of the season, which again is two weeks from when we're recording this. So it's, you know, not a lot of time. There's been increasing rumors about who we're going to hire. You would like to see that happen shortly because they need to, I mean, they need to get moving in the summer because there's a lot of work to do. So it's it's very weird to me that the hiring process for the director of football position specifically has been so drawn out. And I I don't know if it's a product of or a byproduct of so much uncertainty around managers for the summer. Um, But you would think that, you know, unlike with some of these managers who have club seasons that are still ongoing, that you could bring in a head scout director of football type guy right now. Like there's nothing that's stopping, uh, you know, uh, any of these candidates, whether it's, you know, the Brentford guy or the buyer guy or or whatever from from interviewing and then just coming in and taking over. Like nothing is stopping. Like what's what's galling is there's certain I mean. You could tell me if you if you were to like, you know, if some ITK were to dial us up, which if you're an ITK, dial us up. But if some ITK was like, look, you know, 
this Dykes guy at Brentford, like they're going to be a pain in the ass about him leaving and he can't start till the summer. Fine. Like if he can't start, that's one thing, but like, let's line him up and get this going. Uh, this former director at Bayer Leverkusen, Tim Staten, I think I'm, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. He is not currently working for anyone. So I don't know if there's a compensation to be worked out, but you can talk to him. And I do understand you got to draw up lists or whatever, but if, I mean, if Tottenham didn't have like, even if they haven't contacted anyone, like a Rolodex of names to talk to in case something happened to Paratici. Like, what the fuck were we doing? But yeah, I mean, it's also not that hard. Just look at the press and see who Liverpool and Chelsea have been linked with and then call some of them, um, you know, which seems to be what we're doing anyway. So, you know, like it's not well, it's, it's not it's rocket science. I think as Americans, this is a really strange conversation to have. I was talking to Michael about this a little bit last week because, you know, if. Brian, if you're looking at the Royals, uh, the, the, your, your baseball team, or I'm looking at the Orioles, and we need a front office candidate, this is actually a conversation in American sports that we can have, or in the NBA or whatever. A casual fan or a slightly plugged-in fan can have a, I would say, a conversation that is equivalent to us, to British fans or us talking about who Spurs' next manager is going to be, like, we understand like front offices or not we understand, but front offices are public in such a way or ingrained in such a way over here that like you could have a conversation about you might not know the exact guy, but it's like, oh well the Orioles are gonna hire Mike Elias, who's off the Houston Astros front office tree. He's been there like their number two for the last few years. And it's not just I feel like when you're talking about world football, it's like, oh well what directors of football do you know? Well it's like I know the guy at City, I know the guy at Liverpool, you know, now because of Spurs, I know the guy who used to be at Juventus. Like, I mean, it's not Sevilla. Ubiquitous. Yeah, Sevilla. Like, there's like a handful of clubs. It's not like, you know, I would say in almost every American sport, you have a rough idea of what every front office is like. If you pay any sort of, if you pay the yeah. level of attention to a league that would require you to podcast about them every week, you would have a rough idea of sort of how every front office behaves. And at a minimum, what you sort of be getting if you hired a guy out of any given front office. Oh, yeah. And, and like you said, not just sitting in, in Europe, not, and not just like the guy that runs the front office, you know, like you said about their assistants, like the guy that runs player development for the minor leagues, the guy that's like in charge of amateur scouting, like, we, like all that. Or if you don't know, like minimal research will give you information on that. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. And so it's different, but that being said, Tottenham Hotspur are a football club and I would expect a football club to be, generally yes. speaking, aware of players that or people that work in the sphere of football. So, you know, I I don't know, man. Like, even if you're just doing an agent Rolodex situation where you're just, like, calling up people and being like, who you got? Who you know? Like, I don't know, man. It, it's it, the right. fact that this is drawn on so long is is frustrating. And, and you know... It makes sense how long it's taken if you just take it from when we fired Paratici. What is frustrating is that we did no... Apparently no prep work before that. Um, right. Like, to spend two months just writing up a list is just, like... That's just a negligent job I performance. Mean, if someone came well, to me at was this like, point, I'm confident. Write a list of other well, lawyers you know. And it took me two months to do that. I would not have a job for long. Like that's insane that 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 process has taken. And I'm sure there's like things that have moved behind the scenes that we don't know about. But like it is still negligently slow. And I think if you look at the ITK part. I, I hate to no, break go ahead, it, go ahead. But like part of the reason allegedly seems to be is that there's a bunch of different board members. All of them have their own different competing opinions. And nobody is actually driving this process. It's just eight guys in a room who have all made their own lists and are all arguing about who they like and who they don't like. And nobody is like actually saying, I'm the decider. Thank you for your lists. I will start the interview process now. It seems like there's a lot of behind the scenes, like, you know, and then people who are on the board who are not like, football operations people they're just people on the fucking executive board who somehow have a say in this process and it just seems like if itk is to believe which yes grain of salt but like it does sort of map to why everything has gone as slowly and ponderously as it has is that 
there is no captain of this ship. It is just a bunch of people with a bunch of competing ideas. Which is so weird because for so long this club has just been Daniel Levy's ideas. We think and, that's the point is these ITKs are yelling about this stuff and like who fucking knows like right. I mean but but I guess it's it's interesting to th- see that like just in the space of like 18 months we've gone from we're doing you know the Daniel Levy thing to now it's you know what's really holding it up is Donna Cullen. Daniel Levy's Donna Cullen is 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 in Daniel Levy's ear and you know he's listening and then you know they they she doesn't want Pochettino but he does and it's just like well but I thought the problem was Daniel Levy and so now the problem is somebody else and that like I guess that's the thing that you kind of hope that um, Scott Munn comes in and solves is like he's over all the football stuff. And so whether whether or not he is the person that makes the ultimate decision on the hiring, you at least tr- trust that he's like, all right, I got your list. I'm going to go now interview some people and we're going to move this process along. Um, so so hopefully that's what's happening. But right now we're everybody has a has some amount of valid input i guess is it's very so let's weird. let's take this out of the realm of itks and conjecture and talk about what we do know the names we've been linked with for director of football we talk I, i'm i'm not going to get the exact names here so i'm just going to tell you their positions rome is director of football we've been linked with um the former the man who just left Bayer Leverkusen is their director of football. We have been linked with uh, Lee, uh, the one guy I can remember, Lee Sykes, who works at uh, oh, uh, Dykes. Oh, Dykes. Close. So uh, close. Who works at Brentford. Um, I think that's all the serious cans. Spores uh, and also Spores. The thing that I think is really interesting about those names is like there's a real sort of ground up player development streak in all of them. But the guy at Roma who is much more of a Paratici knows an agent kind of guy. Now, I think it's worth pointing out, I think he's done a pretty decent job at Rome over the last few years. I'm not sure if their, like, buy expensive cast-off thing is going to work quite as well in the Premier League, but, like, that's been a decent team. They won a trophy last year. I think they've underperformed a little bit under Mourinho. He's also hired Jose Mourinho, although, you know, I don't know enough about Roma to tell you where that particular buck stopped. So, you know, we'll see. That is not an awful list, but... You know, I think it's strange that it's three guys who all fit a certain profile and then the director of Roma. So, well, I th- I think the one thing that that I would say is, is that a lot of these guys are a little bit dissimilar. I mean, I think you, you hit on why the Roma guy is different, but Spore is, is if I recall correctly, not necessarily a data guy. Um, all the reporting around uh Steiden or however we say his name from Leverkusen is that he very much is a data guy. Um, I don't have any uh, real understanding one way or the other of what Dykes is, but he's at Brentford. So I guess we're all assuming that he's a data and analytics guy. Um, So I just, I, I don't have a clear direction of what we're looking at with this group. I mean, you can also throw the Benfica, um, director of football in there like i think he's kind of in the sort of like uh, does crime uh family along with the the guy from roma so i i don't know how they fit in with the the rest of this group but i don't know i think of all of all of them you know dykes is interesting in that he's already working in the premier league um, and Steiden is interesting in that, you know, he took this Leverkusen team, you know, over the last couple of years and um, has signed some actually really good and really interesting players for them. Um, and has it been able to identify some uh, that before, you know, big clubs were able to get their hands on them? And, and so, I, I mean, I think that's, you know, what we should be looking at. Like Leverkusen are kind of like that area where Spurs are is where you're, you know, you have uh Dortmund and Bayern Munich at the top of the league and then if you're if you're Leverkusen like you want to be right behind them third fourth fifth uh in that range and so like that's kind of the guy that Spurs should be looking at is he's taken that team and made them really good um I don't know yeah again I don't have any strong feelings about names because processes are so opaque and it's really hard to 
sort of identify who's responsible for what and what level of control and what their process for getting those guys actually is. Um, but I think the points you make about the Leverkusen guy are compelling um, and that they are similarly situated. Um, you know, Brentford, we all know, is like the quote-unquote moneyball team in the Premier League, and, you know, that ticks a lot of process boxes for, I think, us, especially as Americans who are, you know, intrigued by guys who are, like, leveraging uh, those sort of inefficiencies from a from a smaller uh, transfer budget compared to your rivals. Um, I just, I just don't care, frankly, about which of these guys, like, I, I don't, none of us really know enough to say that that's our guy. I just want to see a process that looks like we are thinking about this correctly and intelligently and not just flailing as we have so often. And, you know, it won't be until we, you know, see the athletic article on the guy we hire and all convince ourselves that it was a a good decision that we really have any kind of informed opinion here. But I'm just... It's just hard as a fan to just sit here in this sort of null space for this long, wondering why we haven't done anything while opportunities seem to be disappearing, um, you know, and then Pochettino is going to Chelsea. Well, let's talk about that, Um, because I think like I think part of what I want as a Spurs fan I don't know if it's going to work out. I don't know if we're all going to be whining about Levy in a year. I mean, we probably will be, but. You know, I just want something to dream on, like, and I'd like it to be good, but, you know, like, let's get a guy in here who makes some level of sense as a director of football. Let's get a guy in here who makes some level of sense as a manager. Um, It looks like we are recording this on Monday evening in America. Uh, It hasn't officially happened yet, but Pochino looks like he's going to Chelsea. Uh, We've talked about this a little bit. Um, I want to talk about it in two ways, how we're feeling about it now that it's actually happening uh, and how we think he's going to do there. I, I have... This really soured me on Pochettino. I'm not going to – I'm going to lead off with that just to be honest. But I think in some ways this is a good thing for Spurs fans. Um, I I know in our own writer's room when we're talking to each other about Spurs, we rehash 2019. It feels like once a week, if not more. And I think there's something that's maybe positive about Pochettino going to such a despicable club that we all hate so much. And maybe it's going to just break this cycle because I'm not sure anyone's going to want him back at Spurs in the near term. Um, putting aside how realistic that is uh, with him wearing a Chelsea shit uh, all the time. And I'm not sure if this maybe isn't a good thing for Spurs because I've reacted very negatively to that. And frankly, I think there's something deep in all of our souls, maybe a little less deep and more on the surface for Brian. If we'd hired Pochino back, that dopamine hit would have been great. But I think we'd all be a little suspicious of that hire. Yeah, uh, I, I'm not really that bothered by this. I, I think I said that before. Like, I don't care. He's he he can coach wherever he fucking wants. Like, there's only so many good jobs like Chelsea hired him and whatever, man. I don't care. Um, you know, I, I do think you're right that like the benefit of this is it kind of puts a point on the Pochettino era as something now that people are. We can look back on it and, and be nostalgic about it, but we hopefully we will now not want to repeat it or or try to you know recover recover that magic with him back in charge or something. So so I think that's the main benefit to this. But you know, look, um, I don't even know how it's going to go for him uh, at Chelsea. Um, who knows if he'll be there? You know, by the end of November next year. Uh, you know, it's. I don't know. He he has a he has a difficult job and it's a very unstable environment. And I guess I just question like his judgment in picking kind of his last couple of jobs. Like, you know, we know we know as fans like what he wants and needs and it's buy-in from these players and it's time and it's all this sort of stuff and like he took like two of the most like win now jobs in football. And it's just like, uh, what, what are, what are we doing? 
Yeah, two real rat's nest organizations. Uh, I don't, I don't envy him the environment that he's going into, especially after PSG. Um, I mean, you know, we we talked about this a lot when the rumors first came out. I'm more sad than mad. You know, I think for me, being mad at Pochettino and deciding I hate him is not making my life any better. Like, you know, I, I said this before, but there's just so little joy in this game. And that era was just the best it's been. And, you know, I hope it's not the best it's going to be. But, like, there's a real possibility that, like, we're never that close to a Champions League or a title again for a really long time. And the fact that he took a job at a club I despise, I'm just not going to let that tarnish that memory for myself because it's a nice memory and it was a really nice time. And we all remember it very fondly. And I don't want to feel poisoned about it. Like, I just don't, I don't need that in my life. Um, But I'm very, very, very sad that, he's doing this and like i i agree that there's like only so many jobs and like you know he's got to work somewhere and seemingly everybody is our rival for one reason or another but you know he has held out for a long time um on the job front and for him to finally decide to step back into it with chelsea like it sucks because like you want to believe that you know he loves us as much as we the fans love him not we the club because obviously the club does not return that sentiment. That's why we haven't hired him at any opportunity um, that we have had over the last four years. But, yeah, I mean, it does destroy something of that relationship by virtue of who Chelsea is and what they represent, what they've represented in that Pochettino era. But I think I'm just going to feel sad and root for his failure. And that's kind of where I make my piece of it. Oh, I hope his fat ass is in MLS in three years, two years, one year. Like, I just, I hope it goes so poorly there. I am, I don't know. Like I said, I think part of what I'm angry about, I mean, obviously it's a coping mechanism. Ben, you you and I have joked before about how, this is how I handle breakups, but some of this is a, bitterness is a coping mechanism for me. I'll freely admit that. But there's just, I think you said something about there, right there, Ben, which is like, I don't know, like, yeah, he's got to work somewhere and all this other shit, but like, you know, every now and then you think something's a little different in football. You think something's a little more real or more tangible. And, like, you know, I mean, I've seen people see, like, oh, it's Daniel Levy's fault he's going there. And, like, yeah, there's something to that in terms of, like, Spurs didn't want to rehire him. But, like, Riccio Pochettino isn't some, like, babe in the wilderness. Like, this, this man has agency. He made a choice. Like, we all know who Chelsea are if you're a Spurs fan. And this isn't, like, some fucking academic thing for Pochettino, like – like Chelsea were the arch rivals of Tottenham while he was here. They were our fiercest rival who stood in the way, you know, of us winning things more than anyone else. And, you know, he knows what he's doing. He knows who these people are. And, you know, we're going to have to watch him stroking his chin on the sidelines while they all chant, we hate Tottenham. And, you know, it's going to, it, you know, it killed something in me, uh, you know, that, you know, I thought it was different. I thought there was a special relationship there and it was just another, he was just, turns out he was just another manager who made us play really good football for a while. But, you know, it turns out that didn't mean anything to him and, you know, it is what it is. So um, I think it's going to be a tough, tougher job than I think a lot of people are giving him credit for. I think a lot of people are kind of glossing over how bad Chelsea have been this year and, I think one thing that's overlooked, I've read a lot of people talk about how he banished all the troublemakers at Tottenham. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, was I mean, Brian Ben, was Adebayor in the Kabulka ball? Like, I, I can't I can't remember. Very much so. He was? Okay, so Adebayor was probably the only person in the Kabulka ball with any sort of financial or, I don't know, like, value, like, like immediate value on the pitch. And even then, I think he'd squandered a lot of it by then. I mean... You know, how's it going to go when, you know, Enzo doesn't want to, you know, get back and press or whatever? I mean, I'm, it's probably not Enzo that's going to be the problem. But, like, you know, how's it going to go when someone that Todd has signed to, like, a $100 million transfer fee for a 30-year contract and Pochino wants to bench him or send him out on loan to, you know, well, Belgium? 
I think it'll go fine because they have 15 other guys who are just as expensive and just as mediocre to choose from in their place. And then what? And then what happens when he wants to buy more guys? I mean, it's just like it's such a tricky situation. And I just like the thing about Pochettino is like he left Spurs and it wasn't going well by the time he left. And obviously, there's a lot of reasons for that. Not not all of which are his fault. But then he went to PSG, which is a total rat's nest. And I would, you know, I'd say this if we were hiring him. I don't know how much you can take away from his time at PSG. You know, Pochettino doesn't strike me as a guy who's going to do the Eddie Howe thing of sort of like go into the wilderness and like really take the time to work on himself as a coach. I, I, I don't know. I'm very curious how it goes. I think it's a very, I think it's an extremely uphill environment for a manager. And I'm not convinced Pochettino is the guy to make that team click. Do you think that Spurs or Chelsea are in a better position? Chelsea, because they have money. Yeah. Like, I mean, both of the squads are... Yeah, I, I think both, both squads are flawed, and both squads require, you know, a rebuild. But I think, I guess... I, I think the question that that we don't know is what is Chelsea's ability to spend money this summer, given the business that they've done so far this year? And, you know, how do you take that team with some of those guys who, who you are going to be stuck with just because of wages or whatever? You're not going to be able to move them on. How do you take that team and get it scoring goals and playing good football? Uh, well, so. So here's an interesting addendum to that question, Brian. Like, if you're Tottenham and you could steal any of Chelsea's new signings, aside from Enzo, who would you want? Um, like, there's no one the... I feel like I feel really greedy about. Where you? Sorry, Brian. I... Uh, what's the the kid from the defender from Monaco, Badashile or whatever? He's left footed, I think, isn't he? <laughs> He'd be he'd be nice. Um, who else is actually any good? Yeah, I don't know. Of the new signings, I mean, does Sterling count as a new signing? He just signed there this year. I think I'd take him. He just signed. Was that just this year? I, I thought think he so. signed with Abramovich. Still random, but I could be wrong. Man, this has been the longest year ever. So much has happened. But yeah, I mean, they have a bunch of defenders that I wouldn't turn my nose about. Even like Cucurella. Uh, Kukurea or uh, Cool Bali like would make our backline better just because our defense is so fucking shambolic. Uh, in the attack, yeah, not not a lot of guys. Sterling is probably probably the best of the bunch, and I don't know how much he's got left in him. Even Felix, who I kind of like as a player, but I just I don't I mean, even know just... him yet. Yeah, that's a good point. But he just keeps not working at places. So, I mean, that makes you nervous for what he probably costs and what he would probably be paid. Do they still um, own Timo Werner? Because if we hire Nagelsmann... No. No. They own Lukaku, but they don't own Werner anymore. Okay, all right. Well, I mean, Lukaku might be good as a Harry Kane replacement. I mean, I guess my ultimate point when I ask that question is like... Yeah, the squad's they, not that good. <laughs> They need to add a lot of people, I think. And I maybe Pochettino can get a tune out of some of these guys because, you know, he did it at Spurs. But, I mean, I don't know. I mean, they've got um, Nkunku coming in, I think. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I'd forgotten about him. I mean, I think if you're if you're Pochettino and you've got that Chelsea team, like, you just play the kids a little bit more. Like, you've got some ki- some younger players, like, not uh, not even necessarily ones that came through your academy, but you've got like Madueke and um, you know uh, you've, uh, lots of other younger guys there that have been either out on loan or, or playing a little bit for Chelsea. And I think you just kind of lean into playing them. That's your best path forward, and you can maybe create a coherent team out of that if you find like a focal point striker. Um, I might that, be wrong. I just I feel like so many of these attackers look like they just need to go play football at a lower level for a while. I mean, they just they just do not look like they are capable of hacking in the Premier League. And I, I don't know. He's got like if Chelsea can't spend money this summer, which I'm never gonna I'm not gonna believe that till I see it. But if Chelsea can't spend money this summer, like that's a that's a uphill sled for him. Yeah. So fingers crossed it goes just as terribly as we're all hoping. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I have nothing to add to that. Um, we have a lot of managerial candidates to talk about. I don't think any of us are a huge expert on any of them. We're going to talk about. We're going to need something else to talk about in the next few weeks. So I think we'll table that discussion for then, so we don't have to talk about Tottenham's on-field performance um, every week. But um, just to just to take the temperature and maybe sabotage a few picks. Uh, Brian, if you had to put money on on our next manager right now, who would it be? Uh, I mean, are we are we presuming that Nagelsmann is actually out of yes. the running? Let's let's presume he is out of the running. I guess slot is seems like the the next best candidate. Ben, who would you? Well, no, is that who you think we will actually hire? Yeah, I think there's a lot of smoke around it, and I think there's enough interest that, and I think Ten Hag making the move recently and actually being successful maybe gives you some hope that a manager can move from the air division and actually be good um so yeah i would say that seems most likely at this point ben who do you if you had to put money on someone who would it be right now ryan mason really no i i and i'm not like glad we lost but the timing of this loss after the Nagelsmann thing, when, like, the Ryan Mason rumors or, like, the Ryan Mason contingent among the fan base was, like, really gathering steam, uh, I think it was a helpful illustrative loss to just maybe remind everybody that even though he might be our manager someday, it's not not the time. <laughs> um, I could see... I think Slot is probably like the favorite right now, um, but I could see like a Jabby Alonso, um, Leverkusen director of football double act, which will be kind of ironic given how the Nagelsmann stuff fell apart. But I can see it. Yeah, yeah. I saw Luis Enrique's name pop up again today, which it really feels like that's cooled off since Paratici got fired. I don't know. The Slot stuff seems to be the most prominent. I don't know how much that's real or how much that's just it's it's kind of an obvious choice um, if you're Spurs right now. And like you were saying, Brian, like after Ten Hag, like another bald Dutch guy seems um, like an obvious choice. We'll see. I can't pretend to watch a lot of Fire Nord. I did think that video of his players throwing him in the bath gave me strong Pochettino vibes. So, um, you know, how do you, you feel about Xabi Alonso? Because, you know. I, I know you had very strong opinions about our last bearded manager who looked good in a suit. So I mean, he'd be so much more handsome than AVB. I, I, it's not really so much more handsome. He is. He is. He is. Let's all be real about this. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I would be nervous about it. That's not a lot of experience. It's hard not to be impressed by what he's done at Bayer Leverkusen this year. Um. You know, especially like, but he's also walked into a pretty solid youth development setup. It's Germany. So, you know, there's, there's a, you know, there's a Bundesliga. It's all fake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's real. Um, I don't know. I'd be very nervous about his relative lack of experience. Um, but I think it's been a successful enough season that you want to see where it goes. Um, I think what I like about the candidates, and I think one thing, I'll, I'll wrap it up with this. Um, one thing I think makes sense about moving on from Nagelsmann is there is a sense, I think we've gotten this from some of the reporting, that they don't want to get another manager who's like not happy to be here. And I don't know if that would have been Nagelsmann. Maybe we give him the right setup and he's perfectly happy to be at Spurs. But I mean, the thing that I think we have all underplayed a bit about Nagelsmann is if he waits long enough, he's getting a bigger job than Tottenham. Like, I mean, he, or he could have one if he wanted one. Um, he just has to wait till it opens up. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, you know, with Alonzo, you know, I mean, that guy's probably a Real Madrid manager one day if, you know, his career keeps going well. Certainly he's looking at us as a stepping stone in some regard. I don't know if I care about that, but like getting a guy like Slot in here, getting a guy like, you know, Amarim even, um, from sporting, like getting a guy who's like happy to be here, even if we're just the next step in his career, but just where it doesn't feel like he's slumming it, where it doesn't feel like. Guy in the up sees us as a good step. Yeah. He's excited like, to be a part of it. Like, I think that is something that I think there's some, re- I think there's real value to that. And I don't think you should do it just for that reason. Hire a guy just who fulfills that. But 
I think you get a real benefit out of that. And I do think you get that out of that. That would worry me a little bit about Alonzo, but I think he'd be happy to be here if we gave him the job. Anyone else have any feelings about Jobby? He might be okay. I don't well, think he's more handsome than AVB. Oh, he's definitely more yeah. handsome than AVB. Yeah, AVB just AVB wishes he had a jawline like that. Come on, that is true. AVB never had the footballer's physique to go with it either. Exactly, exactly. So like you know, now is Jobby going to fit into a uh, you know a rally car in Dakar? No, but he doesn't have to because he has a lot of trophies and he's not trying to overcompensate for something else. So anyway. I, I think he would be more handsome and a probably a better manager, although that's also a low bar to clear. So, But how will he look in a period Russian military garb? I hope for his sake he never finds out. But That was a good era. <laughs> on that note, uh, I think it's time to wrap things up. Ben, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Switch playing Zelda. Okay. And do you want to read off your uh, what, that social security number Nintendo gives you so you can become friends on Switch? Is that a thing? I don't. I don't Apparently, know there's like a friend code that's very complicated. I'm not doing all that. Okay. Just know I'm there and I'm having a good time. Okay. Just hanging out in Hyrule. Brian, where can people find you on uh, Switch? Where can people find you on Switch? That you can find me also on Switch. I guess I'm not playing Zelda right now, um, but uh, maybe in a few weeks I will be. So, you know, I, I'm playing Harry Potter on my PlayStation. So That's nice. I, I was worried you'd just be spending a lot of time on Craigslist. Uh, you know, it's not really good for that anymore. Um, you just have to know guys. <laughs> to buy couches. Yeah. <laughs> right. You can uh, find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. And don't forget to follow our podcast at WDR Podcast. That is WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. For Brian... For Ben, and of course for Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs.